Um, you uh, kind of just look like you're beating yourself up all day. You know, you're slapping yourself on the face, slapping yourself on the back, slapping your arms, slapping your legs, getting aggravated. You know, you don't want to stop because the mosquitoes, they just follow you. Even when you're not getting bit, you have probably a whole swarm right behind you. So as soon as you stop, they just attack. So you just kind of try to keep moving and you just keep slapping. And when it gets really bad, you go to the deep. You know, you get deep bug spray and spray everything that's not covered. Uh, really bad is when they're so annoying that you just don't want to do anything else the rest of the day. Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Akuna Matata, aka Akuna, known off trail as Will Robinson. He completed his Triple Crown this summer with the CDT, and in this episode, we go back to the beginning to PTSD and extremely dark places, to Wild and Reese Witherspoon and Monster to the PCT in 2016, and new friends who found their way back to him on each of the trails, and to a turning point in Kennedy Meadows' trail journal, where he wrote, Today, and for now on, I will be known as Akuna the Great. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Akuna Matata. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. How's it going for you? Ah, uh, man, I'm maintaining. I'm maintaining. Still, <laughs> still adjusting to being back home and still catching up on rest. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And and congratulations on your uh, triple crown. Oh, man. Appreciate it. You know, it's it's been uh, maybe 10, 11 days since I finished. And I don't think it's completely sunk in yet. How was the that last couple weeks? Uh, the, the last couple weeks, it went by so fast. I mean, once we uh, figured out the whole permit situation for Glacier National Park, it just blew by. And it kind of just seemed like I was kind of like in a time warp where I was just going back and looking at different times on all the other trails. And, you know, I think that's mainly what I did the last two weeks is just reminisce on all the other times I've had on trails. And what was your favorite memory from all of that reminiscing? Uh, It's been one that's been on my mind since I've been back home. My first day on the PCT, the first day I ever hiked, you know, the the first day I put on a backpack and I've been thinking about that day so much. I almost feel like I need to go do the PCT again and just return to where it all started. How was that first day? That first day, I it, it was a great day and a bad day at the same time. <laughs> you know, I think until that point, I thought hiking was just, oh, yeah, just a gentle walk through the woods. And I remember getting dropped off before sun was even up, starting my hike, thinking, hey, I'm doing good. I'm just scrolling out here, taking hundreds of pictures within the first two or three miles. And maybe an hour into the day, I just hear something that sounds like horses hitting the ground. 
And I'm looking around like, what is that? Next thing I know, you got people coming by with tiny, tiny backpacks <laughs> and tennis shoes. And they're like, hey, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. It just kept going. I was like, okay. I think I underestimated this hiking thing. You know, it's not just the shrill out here. You actually got to put in some sweat. And, it's, uh, it's your yeah. new job. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's not a vacation. It's work. Right. And I, I guess... Doing doing a little research on you, you from the moment in time when you decided to hike the PCT to the the time that you hiked the PCT was really fast. Uh, it was it was either three or two weeks, one or two. Yeah, and you started with how much gear? Uh too much. I mean. Uh... You know, I never really weigh my packs because even now I've always been one of those people where I carry what I feel, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever works for me is going to, that's what I'm going to do. Makes my trip enjoyable. But if I had to take a guess, I would say my pack in 2016, granted, this was a hot year too. I mean, a dry year. Mm-hmm. It probably was 50 to 60 pounds easy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, two water filters. And three of this and four of that, just in case I lose something. I mean, oh, my goodness. That, that gear list was a hot mess right there. <laughs> Did you check out somebody else's gear list or or you were sort of looking at the whole of it and then extrapolating in terms of like what you, you were afraid of losing something? Or what about if you needed something else or that type of thing? It was a combination of both. I mean, I looked at some gear lists online. But, you know, since I had no idea through hiking was as big a thing as it was, I only looked at a couple sources online and I basically kind of duplicated what I would see in some of those gear lists. And some of the sources probably weren't the most reliable. You know, you would see sites where it's like, oh, this is the best tent for backpacking. <laughs> yes. But maybe not through hiking. So, I mean, I started a trail with a tent that was probably almost seven pounds. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So what was the first thing that you let go of? Um, if you ask my trail fam that year, they'll tell you it took a long time for me to let go of things. But I think by the time I got to uh, Hiker Heaven, which was around 454 on the PCT, so when I finally was willing to get rid of stuff, and I mean, it was like Salvation Army all at once type <laughs> thing. But the first real thing that I was determined to swap out was the tent. Oh, yeah. What do you remember what you swapped it out for? Uh, Big Agnes Fly Creek, too. Okay. Are you still using that? I still have my Big Agnes. I used it on the AT last year. I used it both years on the PCT. And then this year I switched to a Z-Pax Duplex. How, how do they compare for you? Uh, the Duplex is definitely more spacious. You know, the uh, Fly Creek is a, it's a tough little tent. I strongly recommend it if you're, especially if you're, if you're carrying solo and it's just you great tent does get a little aggravating crawling out the front all the time and going over stuff. But the duplex with uh, me hiking with undecided this year or sharing it, we shared a tent. We needed the double entries. You know, we, we shared it a little bit on the AT. And I mean, anytime you got to pee in the middle of the night, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, I got this leg up over my head. I got to roll this way. trying to have to wake you up. So yeah, it was good stretching, but just became a pain. But not good for having to cohabitate in the same tent. 
No, especially with us. You know, I'm about six foot and undecided is almost five nine, five ten. So we're kind of long and, you know, we have long limbs. So, yeah, it, it was a little tight. <laughs> it made things complicated. Definitely. Now, when you decided what I know the answer to this, but I but I'm going to have you tell the story. Um, what prompted you to start the PCT? I have so many years of just dealing with just frustration, depression, PTSD, you know, almost a, a decade plus where I basically turned my home and my house into a prison. I cut off social ties with people because, you know, I was always negative or I was always angry and I was afraid of those type of interactions happening with people I was close to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it spiraled more and more and more and more. I had a couple of attempts at suicide during that time. And I just got to the point where it's like, I need to do something. If I don't do something soon, I don't know how much longer I can go. Right. And, you know, I had read about the PCT in Iraq in 2003 in a guidebook I found and thought I would love to do that. And over the next 13 years, completely forgot about it <laughs> until I was sitting in my room one day and look up and see Reese Witherspoon and Wild walking with a backpack. And it's like, I wonder. If that's the trail I ran, I read about when I was in Iraq, mm-hmm. you know, I pulled up Google, did a little quick research, saw PCT, and it's like, yeah, that's the same trail. And I instantly knew right there, it's like, you know, I'm in an extremely dark place. It's going to take something extreme for me to get out of it. Maybe this is the extreme thing I need. And before you knew it, two, maybe three weeks tops later, I was at the Southern Terminus. So uh, Cheryl and Reese and uh, Monster. Uh, tipped you yes. over. <laughs> yes, big time inspirations for me. That is that is so cool, and it sounds like it came at just the right time. Um, the perfect time, I and mean, I don't I don't know how many more days I had to, to just be able to sit here like the way I was. Yeah, and something was going to change one way or another. I'm assuming you started solo, um, mm-hmm. but from the sounds of it, you you gathered a trail family pretty quickly uh day one day one well there you go day one i picked up my first member of my trail family that year and by day two i think is when i got my trail name from her and your trail name is akuna for akuna matata no worries you know that day on the trail you know earlier that day is kind of funny I met her. She was uh, sitting on a rock taking a break and I thought I was dying. You know, I couldn't breathe. My body felt like it was just falling apart. Didn't know what was wrong. And she sees me and she can immediately tell something's wrong. And uh, she's like, hey, have you drank water? Have you been stretching? Are you like diabetic or anything? It's like, no, you know, I don't know. It's none of that. I just don't know what's going on. And she's like, hey, did you eat anything? (laughs) <laughs> and I thought back about it. It's like, well, I didn't eat anything this morning. I didn't eat anything last night when I got to San Diego. Didn't eat nothing all that day because I was on planes. And then I didn't eat that last day I was home in Louisiana because I was so excited about this. So I hadn't ate for like two, almost three days. And that's what was going on. Whoa. So, you know, she starts feeding me cookies and I feel the energy come back to me. And, you know, from there on, we kind of just hung together. But, you know, that night or the, the first night we were tending, she would ask me things like, so what do you, what's your plan for resupplies? It's like, you know, I'll figure that out as we go. So what's your plan for snow in the Sierras this year? You know, we got 700 miles before we got to figure that out. 
And she asked me a whole bunch of questions, and most of them is kind of like, yeah, we're going to wing it. We're going to make it work. Like, you just don't worry about a lot of stuff, do you? Like, uh, I worry about everything in my normal life. Here, I'm trying not to do that. And that's when she was like, yeah, we should just call you Akuna Matata. Or Akuna for short. And it's like, yeah, I like that. No worries. And it's been that since. That's pretty amazing that you could literally hit the trail and, and sort of turn off. Well, I guess in some respects, turn off the, the worry meter. Uh, it was it was difficult. It was very, very difficult. But I would have to tell myself when I would start worrying or overanalyzing the situation, like, dude, stop. Just stop. Throw some little weighing or something and just zone out and it'll work itself out. You'll figure it out. Yeah. How was that in terms of... Because you, you were just saying that like before you hit the trail, you had sort of isolated yourself. Um, and now here you are sort of, you know, first day. Yeah, first day. You know, you're already starting to gather a tribe. You know, it was weird. Mainly because I didn't really socialize a lot the years before that. But what I did learn with all the years of dealing with mental health issues was basically how to fake it till you make it. <laughs> you know, I, I could have so much anxiety inside and so much nervousness, but I could really cover it up because most of the time I didn't want people thinking I was crazy even back home. So you kind of hide the way you're feeling or the way you're thinking or your anger. You know, you have these awkward socialization, uh, socializing periods where everything in you wants you to run or to shut up or not do anything, but you kind of just fake it. So at the beginning, meeting people early, that's kind of how it was. And, you know, members of my trail fan the first year, they always say, like, you know, you're a completely different person than you were back then. Because even then, I didn't really talk a lot. I didn't socialize a lot. At times, I would put my tent a little distance from everyone else. You know, and uh, now you can't get me to shut up. <laughs> you have a lot to talk about. Oh, man, it's been a great last four years. How long do you feel like it took you to open that shell? I think it really started happening. It started happening the probably almost at trail days in 2016. But it was between Ken it's between Kennedy Meadows and probably Trail Days. Kennedy Meadows, when I got to the seven hundred and two mile mark, I felt like I was just the man at that moment. It's like I just hiked the California desert. Me. Nowhere near did I think I would ever accomplish that. I remember writing in the trail log that day, today and from now on, I will be known as a Kuna the Great. <laughs> so I kind of got more confident there and you know. Hanging out and celebrating with everyone at uh, Kennedy Meadows General Store, you know, before we go into the Sierras. That was a great time. That was the time I started talking to people more and kind of socializing a little more. And by the time I, I left the trail for injury and went back up the trail days, you know, I was kind of more out of my show. Mm -hmm. And by 17, I think I was like the chatty Cathy at that point. By 17, I craved those human interactions that I was avoiding the years prior. Interesting. Did you have anybody in your trail family in 17 that had been there on in 16? No, not, not, not in my immediate trail family. I've met a few people, 
that had hiked in 16. Uh, one of my friends that was part of my bigger trail family in 16, he actually met me at Hauser Creek, 15 miles in the trail. You know, I go up the hill. He's like, hey, how's it going? It's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, I, I knew you were coming out here to hike, so I figured I'd meet you. Hiked the five miles with me to uh, Lake Mariana, camped with us, hung out. Separated the next morning, maybe halfway through my day. I get to a road and another friend of mine is there on his motorcycle, just wanting to say hello and hang out for a while. Uh, I had another one of my friends meet me in Washington and hike with us for a day, day and a half. So that was pretty cool. You know, the people that I had met the year before just coming out and saying hello and showing support. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you how tight this trail, the through hiking family really is, you know? Yeah. And it seems pretty amazing I know everybody, you know, calls this trail family and and that kind of stuff, but it really does feel like a tribe. It does. So like my my homie Youngblood, my brother Youngblood, I met in 16. I have literally seen this man on every one of my hikes except for this one. 16, he was hiking the PCT. 17, he just came out there to check on me. 18, he came, hang out with me, hiked a day and a half, came back, took me to trail days. I was a little bummed I didn't see him this year to keep the uh, the street going, mm-hmm. but you know I understand. But just people would do stuff like that that just blows my mind sometimes. It's it's very affirming. Mm-hmm. When when you started the trail, did you have any concept of the Triple Crown at that point, or just literally that trail? I don't think when I started the trail that I even knew about the AT which is so close to me here in Louisiana or the CDT even existed. You know, it took me meeting people on the trail and somebody would be like, Oh yeah, I hiked the AT last year. And it's like the AT, what's that? <laughs> oh, th- there's another one. Okay. Literally in your backyard. Yeah. Somebody would say something about, Oh yeah, the CDT is the brutal one. It's like, so there's three. Then I started finding out about all the other trails in the United States, you know, from the Wonderland Trail, the Ice Age, the Long Trail. It's like, wow, I did not know all of this was even here. Have you done any of the other, the shorter trails? Um, uh, All of my hiking has been on the big threes, except for one hike in the off season uh, this year. Me and Undecided met in Texas and took on the Lone Star Trail which is so crazy, 98-mile trail, and it's the one I haven't completed. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, happened? We, we, uh, day two, we both got really, really sick, and we sat around in a tent one day. I was like, you know, this was supposed to be just a fun hike. And if you've ever been sick in the backcountry, you know, that's not fun at all. No. So from that point, we were like, yeah, we we're going to have fun. Let's just go to the road, get back to the car. And just go hang out in Huntsville, Texas for a little bit. You didn't have to you didn't have to finish it. You could come back to it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I definitely have plans to go back to it another time. I think it'd be fun to take, you know, a few people that maybe never went hiking before or or want to see, you know, the type of things that we do out there on that trail since it's a short one and you're pretty close to roads. Have you gotten your family involved at all or interested at all in it? I, I know my nieces now have gone on short hikes with friends uh, when they were in college. And one of my nieces that she travels for work and she'll go to places like Portland and I'll get pictures of her doing little hiking trails. 
my dad, my dad is usually sometimes he'll train with me in the off season. We walk everywhere together. We need to go to the grocery store. I'll put a pack on. We'll walk. You know, we're sitting around and nothing to do. We'll go walk. But, you know, he, he walks a lot more now and we explore a lot more. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Now I just got to get him out there on, on a, my next hike and see how that goes. Or, or at least get him out there for a few days. Oh, yeah. I think if I, I think if you did a few days, though, I'm stuck with him. So this is a way. How do you train in the off season? Uh, here in Louisiana, where I live, we don't have a lot of long trails, you know, where you can get 20 or 30 miles camp and then 20 or 31 miles. Mm-hmm. What I have that's really close to me is bike trails and trails that might be one and a half to two miles long. So I do a lot of urban hiking is what I call it, just hiking around town. Even during Mardi Gras, I'll put on a pack and go to the beginning of the parade and just walk with the parade. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> Plus, you got something to put all your beads in. So, yeah, there win-win. You do you actually, like, weight the pack at all or do you accumulate as you go along? I usually give everything I catch to the kids along the route. You know, that stuff is way more important to them than it is to me. You know, I, I've lived here forever, so I have a garage full of pretty much everything that they're throwing. Yeah. So I usually just find people to give it to. Being from a Louisiana, you're you're used to the humidity and and all of that. How was the desert? I love desert hiking. <laughs> when most people don't like it, I love it. I mean, there's way more life in the desert than you would expect if you've never been to one. You know, the desert blooms, the the creatures that are around. But I'm one of these, like, one of my friends used to call me Captain Planet on the trail from the old cartoon, you know. The superhero charges up, basically, from the sun. Mm-hmm. It's almost the hotter. The more the hotter it is, the more humid it is, the stronger I get. I just don't like that cold thing. How much cold thing did you run into on that uh, the PCT and the CDT? Uh, a lot, you know, <laughs> basically from the desert up is cold, but see, I'm even worse though, because being from Louisiana, if it's 50 degrees, that's considered cold here. So <laughs> I mean, it could be 45 degrees out on trail and people are wearing shorts and t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I have on shorts, pants, you know, long sleeves, jacket, maybe a puff. It's like, no. And I don't want to stop it all that day because your stopping gets worse. Yeah. But I've started getting better with the cold. I can't believe I'm saying that. But yeah. I was going to say, have you acclimated at all? I think I have. I think I have. But I always still don't miss the heat and humidity. I would take a 95 degree day over a 50 degree day any day of the week. It's like here I'm home in Louisiana since I've been home. It's been 93 degrees or higher with 90% humidity every day and absolutely love it. I'm usually outside all day long. Yeah. I, see, I'm, I'm a West Coast girl. That humidity would kill me. <laughs> you know, most people, when they come from uh, out of state to visit, that's usually the first thing they say is like, oh, my goodness. How do you guys live? It's like easy. We don't need lotion. Good to go. That is very true. Mm-hmm. Now... Got out on the trail, finished your Triple Crown. How is your PTSD now? You know, 
Great question. Uh, people that I've met often have told me things like congratulations on curing your PTSD. And I think some people don't understand that there is no cure for PTSD. What I've learned on trails is how to better manage it. It's giving me the skills to, like, say, when I would get so angry that I was just breaking stuff. Now I know I can just go outside and take a walk a few blocks and just focus on what was frustrating me, work on my breathing, work it out without having to replace all my stuff every few months. <laughs> or when I would have the problems with anxiety, you know, I can be in Walmart and Walmart is like the devil for me. I and mean, that's where I feel like I have heart attacks. My anxiety can be so bad with all the people around. But all the hiking and put, being put in social situations, I picked up little techniques that help me. And a lot of it is breathing. A lot of it is visualizing them somewhere else, visualizing them back on the trail. And, and it helps me in all those situations that I was having problems with prior. So you have ways to manage, as you say, ways, ways to cope with it. Yes. That developed from being on the trail, you think, or developed through the interactions you were having on the trail? I think a lot of it was developed from from the trail itself and the interactions. It's like when I was in situations where things like this occur, when you're out on the trail, you can't run from them. You can't just go to your house and lock yourself in your room. You kind of have to figure out a way to deal with it. And that's basically what I did. And then once I figured out how to deal with a lot of the things that I couldn't deal with back home, it was all about trying to figure out how to be able to do it at home also. How was it coming back from that, from the first PCT? I w it was miserable for me because <laughs> uh, when I came back that first year, I already knew I was going back. Okay. So now it was, it was the waiting game. And the waiting game in between seasons is like torture for me sometimes. It's looking at gear posts and looking at gear reviews and you know, seeing people that were still finishing their hikes or just stalking other through hikers on Instagram or on their websites that are preparing for their through hike is like, I just want the date to hurry up and get here. And that's probably why I've started early, like every season. When you say early, like how early? Uh, you know, most of the, the big bubble on the PCT usually leaves around the 20th to the 25th of April. Both times I started, I started the first and the second of April. The AT, the AT, uh, usually people start more toward the middle of April. I started March 20th. The CDT, most people started the end of April. I started April 1st. And to clarify on that, you started, you went from New Mexico up as opposed to from yes. Canada down. Oh, yeah. No both. I am a northbound guy. That just works well for me. So, you know, you can't, can't mess with something that's working. Do you have, would you have any interest in, I mean, you certainly have interest in going back and doing the trails again, but would you have any interest in coming from the other direction on any of them? Uh, probably not. You know, I mean, I have a Sobo, I mean, I have a Nobo tattoo on my chest, so it would be weird. <laughs> no, nah, that, that's a joke. That's a joke. I don't have a tattoo, <laughs> you know, but no, nah, I like the way everything flows. Nobo. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Maybe one day it would be nice to see one of the trails southbound. I think if I did do one southbound, it would probably be the the CDT. You know, it seems like uh, seems like they get a good group of people starting southbound around the same time, so you can actually have a good size bubble going. Mm -hmm. 
And that's one of the, the best things about through hiking to me is socializing with people. So I mean, you have a, a good chance of still having a good group to just socialize with up and down the trail. Did you do much solo hiking or solo camping or stuff like that? Uh, not so much this year. This year is the first year that uh, I started a hike with someone and I was ending a hike with someone. All the other years I met people as we went. So I would have stretches where, you know, I would hike solo, camp solo. And, you know, even when I had trail families at times, I would play games like, okay, I'm just going to let them leave at six, seven o'clock in the morning. I'm going to wait till 12 and see how long it takes me to catch them. You know, I'm usually in a group. I'm usually one of the faster hikers so I could do things like that and make little games. But other times it's nice to, you know, just have the day to yourself. Mm-hmm. Or to camp by yourself. Are you slightly competitive? At times. <laughs> Un- undecided would tell you. At times, I am. I learned a lot this season with undecided. You know, with being that we were together, you know, we made our plans together. And there'd be times where we would run into people. With, oh, we're going to do a 50-mile day or a 60-mile day. And it's like, oh, I want to do it. And undecided is like, oh, hell no. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's not happening. And I would get a little frustrated, but I actually started to embrace her way of hiking, you know, taking more breaks, taking that long lunch and just kind of enjoying it more. But there are still times where I would see somebody in front of us and I'd look back at Undecided and she'd just be like, "Okay, just go get them. (laughs) I know you're going to just go ahead. But it's, it's more when people would see me on trail and automatically assume it's like oh it's the black guy he probably is not that very strong of a hiker then it's kind of like okay now i need to make my point to you because you're frustrating see what happens when you assume Mm -hmm. it's like yep see you later (laughs) i'll meet you at the top how did you split up the things that you were deciding to share uh we the only thing we did share was a tent we both had our own stoves you know, because yeah, we both do different cooking methods. She cooks like in a pot and things like that. I usually just boil water and pour those into a bag to cook. So, you know, we didn't share stoves until close to the end. Close to the end, we wanted to go ahead and lighten up some. So then we shared. But the rest of the time, no, we only shared tent. And, and at times clothing for some reason. <laughs> How did that work? Well, that would work usually when we'd get the to town way. or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, when we would get to town or something like that and everything she would have would be dirty and I might have a shirt or, you know, something that I didn't wear, a wind jacket. So she would end up wearing that while we did laundry. Otherwise, if you don't have loaner clothes there, yeah. you can't wash all your clothes and get your chores done because, you know, you can't walk around town naked. <laughs> yeah, they, they frown upon that for some reason. You know, I'm not quite sure why, but yeah, sometimes that people, you know, just have a problem with it. Yep. From the first trail, you know, beginning on the PCT, when you had two of one thing and three of another and four of something else, mm-hmm. to doing the CDT this year, how much of all of the extra stuff were you able to get rid of um, or leave behind, so to speak? I really, I really don't carry like extra stuff anymore. Okay. Uh, you know, I do carry certain luxury items that make my trip more enjoyable. 
But I've learned over the years, like that extra filter, I don't need the extra filter. Worst case scenario, my filter clogs or breaks. I can find another hiker and I can use their filter. And then when I get into town, I can get another one. Mm-hmm. You know, these were the things I didn't realize that first time is, you know, you're probably going to hit a town at least once a week. Even if they don't sell the item, you probably you can probably find some type of service before you get there, order it and have it waiting there for you. See, what I went out, I'm thinking, yep, you have to have everything because you're never going to see a town if you had to get stuff back. How did you think you were going to get more food? I, I knew these towns were going to be here to get resupplies, but my brain told me gear stuff they may wow. not have. Got so it. you need to have all of that. And partly, partly I was right. I mean, the, on the, a lot of these trail towns now, there's not a lot of options as far as replacing gear. So REI.com, Amazon.com, usually where you end up getting a lot of your stuff from. What are your luxury items these days? Uh, this year, I actually brought a Thermarest pump. Uh, so I hate blowing up the air mattress, especially at altitude, like in Colorado. And this way, you just put the little pump in there. It weighs about the same amount as two AAA batteries, maybe a little bit more than that. And you just put the pump on there. You go off and do whatever it is you need to do, filter water or whatever. And you come back and your air mattress is blown up. But uh, I carry that. I always carry, well, that is one extra thing I do still carry. I always carry an extra set of earbuds. You know, walking in the wilderness, there's so many great sounds. It's so cool. But after a while, you need distractions, especially going uphill. There is nothing worse than having 25, 30 miles ahead of you to get the town with four or 5,000 feet of elevation gain, and you can't listen to your audiobooks. That is like the longest date ever right there. So I always carry an extra one of those. Thanks to my good friend Merrick, I carry a Rology ball now. And that's uh, designed to like roll out muscle cramps and aches and pains. And when my Achilles was injured this year on the CDT, that, that ball was clutch, big time clutch. So absolutely love it. It stays in my catch-all. Uh, what else do I carry for a luxury item? What what size of ball are you are you carrying? The the small like golf ball size or the the bigger? Yeah, the small golf ball size. Okay. I have the bigger one also, but I can do everything with the small golf ball size one. And since I have my pack is only forty liters in the interior, anything that I can get smaller is better. What what is the pack that you're carrying these days? Uh, Hyperlite Wind Rider twenty four hundred. So you have. 40 liters internal and then 10 liters for the outside pockets. Does it have a hip belt or not? It has a hip belt. So what other luxury items are you, you packing around? Um, what else? Uh, I guess you can call my uh, wind jacket a luxury item. Never carried one before. Till this year, absolutely love it. You know, it's that great thing to have if you're like me and you get cold, but not cold enough to wear a puff. You know, hiking in a puff, you start to sweat it out quickly. Yeah. So you end up playing the puff game all day. Put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. The wind jacket was clutch. You know, I could wear that in the mornings when it was cool. You know, if it started to warm up a little bit, it's like, okay, it's not too bad. Easy just to ball up and put in the mesh pocket in the front of my pack. So I absolutely loved that. But it meant I carried three jackets. So I would call that one a luxury one. So you had the puff, you've had the rain jacket, and then the wind jacket? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think that's really about it for luxury items. But GoPro, I carried a GoPro this year too, and tripod and a few other accessories. Was that just because you wanted to document more, sort of the the, the completion of your journey? Um. That was for a top secret project that we'll probably be letting you guys in on in the next maybe month. Okay. I look forward to hearing. Ah, I will let you know. <laughs> I guess kind of circling back to the to the solo thing, how how much camping did you do on your own where you didn't have people around you and that kind of stuff? Uh my first year on the PCT. I think I probably did four or five days that way on the uh, AT, probably less. It's like uh, through hikers, you usually congregate to the same areas at night, especially on the AT because you're kind of pushed to all the shelters. Mm -hmm. So it's not often on the AT that you're going to get to a shelter that no one else was shooting for that day. So there's usually always people around. And on the PCT, if you're using gut hooks, they mark a lot of campsites people have used constantly over the years, and a lot of people shoot for those. Now, with the PCT, you can pretty much camp anywhere as long as you're not on private property. But most of the time, people do gravitate to these certain spots. Right. So a lot, a lot of time, even if you're solo, if you pull up to a campsite, there's probably other hikers there. Did you have many interactions with uh Larger animals, or even rattlesnakes, for that matter. Um, the PCT rattlesnakes are everywhere. You know, the first time you see a rattlesnake, it's like, oh, okay, don't know what to do. I'm just gonna sit here and freeze, and you, you, you're kind of excited about it. But by, you know, maybe ten, fifteen days in, it's like, oh, okay, it's a rattlesnake. Let me just do my thing. You don't even really worry about them no more. You, you watch for them. You're always looking down at the ground, but it's no longer a surprise because you see them so often. Uh, you know, you see a lot of deer pretty much on all the trails. Uh, on the CDT, finally got to see a few moose. You know, I've never seen those before until this year. Uh, I had one day right before East Glacier where we saw four bear in one day. <laughs> that was pretty cool because we got to see them from a distance versus uh, walking up on. So that was cool. <laughs> Were they black bear or grizzly? Black bear. I still haven't yet to see a grizzly. Even in Yellowstone, I didn't see a grizzly. But, you know, I have these giant size 15s, so they make a lot of noise going down the trail. So I'm sure I scare everything off before I can see it. And and if you haven't scared it off, uh, you're never going to know. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. If my feet don't scare it off, I am known for just to be walking down the trail. And if a good song comes in my playlist, just to start dancing. So if it's not the sound of my feet. It's probably my bad dancing. This is going to scare things off. You, you, uh, you make a fair amount of noise. Big time. But, but they do actually say, um, and I've heard a lot of people say this, like that, that it's better to hike that way mm -hmm. than to try to be, you know, silent. So to uh, speak. you when you're in bear territory, it is something that they they tell you that you should do a lot more of is to make noise while you're hiking. Even if you're a person or it's early in the morning and you're usually more quiet during the time, you know, every so often make some type of noise 
to let, you know, other animals in the area know you are there and you're less likely to have, you know, that bad interaction with them. Mm-hmm. You know, some people use bear bells. Some people use Bluetooth speakers and have their music or their audio books up loud. Would not recommend that to most people. Usually that creates a problem with other hikers because sometimes they don't want to hear your music. Some people want to be out there and only hear nature all the time. So I wouldn't recommend it, but some people do do that, you know, or just clacking your trek poles together every now and then. But I think what I see most people do is, you know, if you got that good playlist going, sooner or later, you're going to want to sing. So it's common to just walk up in somebody, you know, getting their full Mariah Carey on in the middle of the trail and (laughs) kind of scaring them. Oh, that that would be pretty funny. Oh yeah, it it happens a lot. <laughs> or uh, get a get a line of of uh, dancing going on. You know that happens too. <laughs> you know, just a a full out dance party going on in the middle of nowhere. Good times. What's the What's the favorite song for that dance party? Oh man, runs the gambit. But I think for me lately, it's been in my feelings, Drake. I think I bumped that so much on this trail. That was the song where it came in on my playlist. Oh, yeah, I'm about to find a rock somewhere to stand on and just work it out. You know, I got to find a rock because I got to have an elevated stage. You know, I need everything to see me. Oh, wow. So it's a full performance. Oh, it's it's a full on show. (laughs) You know, sooner or later, somebody's going to put it up on YouTube because I've been caught many, many a times. Oh, damn. Now we're going to have to search for this thing. Oh, yeah. I've searched many a times. Nothing's up there yet, but it won't surprise me if something pops up. Do you now listening to the song, does it flash you back to those moments on the trail? Yes, it does. It, it brings me back to the times where I may have been, you know, on my rock working out and a day hiker or somebody walked up on me and was just looking like, what in the world is he doing? (laughs) It has taken me to some of those times. That to me is almost like the best part of it. Like having that talisman almost back to these great moments. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, you know, one of the, one of the cool things about hiking, you know, once your hike is over with, you still have all the memories. So even when you have say the roughest day ever where everything's not working right. You can think back of that time someone did something silly at this campsite in the middle of Washington or that time where you beat your personal best and you were so proud of yourself that day. And it brings you out of that, you know, that bad day. How, how did your body hold up? Uh, For the most part this year, body held up decently. The uh, only injury I really had was an Achilles injury. Uh, I was in Colorado, snowshoeing, and I postal with snowshoes and caught the right one between two rocks with all my weight going forward, and it just stretched out my Achilles, and I just kind of had to deal with it the rest of the trail. And that was where uh, Merrick's ball came in? Definitely. <laughs> I Almost every night I was rolling out that Achilles, it felt so beautiful. You know, and, and I actually... <laughs> in Yellowstone camp with a whole bunch of people and we kind of had a little rollout party going. Did other were, did you find other people carrying balls and, and other types of things? I've met a few people over the years that carry different things to roll out with, but a lot of them had never heard of the Rology ball. So when they seen mine and then they used it, 
you know, I, that became something that people were going to start looking for. My, you, uh, you got them on the, on the train. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Merrick, we, we, we're trying to make sure you take over the trail for real. We're rolling out. Yeah. Well, and I turn 50 next year when I go to do the trail. Yes. Trail birthday. Yep. Oh, yep. Cool. cool. Exactly. Um, and uh, I know that through my life, I've been fairly active and athletic and so forth, but I've accumulated injuries mm-hmm. and re- or residuals of injuries. And that is a big thing for me to have to think through of like, how do I carry some of these basic things that I'm going to need in order to sustain through the the residual injuries and the injuries that will co- come because of the previous injuries? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that all of that, the stuff that you need to, you know, do the maintenance. That is all weight that is well worth it. You know, I have my giant knee braces. You know, I'll have my urology ball. At times I may carry some Ben Gay that I used in town, but it's all stuff that's welcome because it's going to help you get through that hike. How did your knees hold up through all of this walking? This year they held up extremely well. I uh, really, other than, you know, fatigue. I really didn't have much problems with them this year. I didn't have as much swelling as I would in past years. I didn't suffer from knee pain, you know, weekly or anything. So this week, this year, they held up very, very well. What had you done on prior hikes to help with them? Uh, for prior hikes, I, you know, my knee braces are they're given to me from my ortho at a VA, so those are prescribed to me. Then uh, I would have to ice up at times when I would get into hotels and in towns, uh, elevating my sleep, my feet, my legs when I would sleep. I put uh, my clothes back underneath my feet so I could get the elevation and keep the swelling down. Ibuprofen if the swelling was really bad. And I used to take a slew of pain medication that was prescribed to me from the VA. And I would try not to take that unless I really needed it. How did you also have any issues with your feet or, or things like that. Obviously hiking so many miles, so many steps. Um, a lot of people are, you know, talking about their hips and their, and their uh, feet and that kind of thing. People may find this is hard to believe, but I've never had a foot issue. I've never had a blister. I've never had a hot spot, but there's a reason before, because uh, there's a reason for that. While I was in the military wearing the old style leather combat boots, they pretty much destroyed my feet. I was issued a size 12, even though I was wearing like a 14 at the time, and they would not listen to me and not let me change them. So the bottom of my feet are almost permanently calloused. So other than getting more callous, I don't usually get foot issues. I guess that's sort of good news, bad news? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> You know, everybody's treating blisters or talking about how their feet hurt all the time. It's like, oh, I'm good. You know, when your feet do get fatigued, you do develop some foot soreness, but that's the most I usually get. How many miles were you walking a day or on average? On average, between 20 and 25 this year. Okay. You know, nothing super, super extreme. You know, I... On most hikes, even first-time hikers, uh, you may start off doing 15, around 15 miles a day to 18. And as the hike goes, maybe a month, two months in, you usually get up to that 20, 25-mile average per day. 
Did you do any like extreme distances or have you done any uh, extreme distances? My longest day is a 46 mile day. And that was in Oregon and did that. And I think it was nine hours or nine and a half hours racing with trail family. Had to show the 20 the somethings that us 30 year olds can still do stuff. <laughs> so had to beat them there. You know, the grand prize was whoever got there first got a milkshake because we were all addicted to milkshakes that year. And it was so bummed out because right when we got to this uh, lake, uh, like town, the restaurant was closed. So couldn't even claim a milkshake. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we did a few 30s this year. I think the biggest day we did this year was around 38. Uh, uh, some guys that I met this year, the homie Dosu. And Redfish, they were planning a 70-mile day out of, uh, I think that was Rawlings, Wyoming. And I really, 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 really wanted to go on that one. But since me had undecided share a tent, and she wasn't even trying to hear that at all, I had to bow. <laughs> but big congrats to those two. They completed it. I think they ended up with like 74 miles within 24 hours. So that's pretty beast. Was that just to do it, or were they trying to hit something within a certain deadline or I think for them, it was just to do it, okay. you know, prior, prior to the hike, I looked at it and I thought I wanted to try a 50 mile day during that stretch because that stretch is through the, the basin mm-hmm. and the basin was hot. It's dry and it's for the most part flat. So it's ideal when you look at the terrain to get bigger miles through there. And because of the heat and the, and the water situations, you know, it's a good spot to just beast out a big day. Did you try to convince Undecided at all that she would be great at cowboy camping for one night? And <laughs> uh, She tried to convince me that because she's like, you should just go ahead and go. You know, I can cowboy camp or you can leave me the tent and you can cowboy camp. But it's like, I know me. If I would did that, I would have just worried about her all day long, even though I know she can't handle herself out there. It's just the type of person I am. Mm-hmm. So even if I would have got it done, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah. Did you do much cowboy camping while you were out there? Uh, on any times. of the trails? A few times on this trail. Uh, not too many times on the AT, maybe a, a small handful. And many times on the PCT. The PCT, a lot of it is ideal to cowboy camping. You know, usually it's not super cold at night. Didn't get a lot of weather in most of the PCT and didn't have the bug issue. You know, on the CDT, I think that's what kind of prevented us from cowboy camping more is you had some spots where mosquitoes were worse than they are here in Louisiana. And I never thought that was possible. Mosquitoes are our state bird in Louisiana. <laughs> but there was places all around the trail, different multiple states where the mosquitoes were just horrible. So it kind of prevented you from cowboy camping in those areas. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've heard people talk about cowboy camping when the mosquitoes are and just, you know, whatever, hunking, hunkering down in their in their sleeping bags or what have you. But that just sounds crazy, particularly when you're carrying a tent. <laughs> we had a day where we put up our tent, went and got water. And by the time we went back to the tents, the mesh on both sides was just completely full of mosquitoes. You could barely see where the zippers were. I'm saying hundreds and hundreds of mosquitoes just hanging right there on the mesh to the point where once you got in the tent, 
you didn't want to open it back up for anything because they were all just going to be hanging right there waiting for the tiniest crack to come in and just flood stuff. So, no, I, I could not imagine just cowboy camping and dealing with that. I mean, I'm not getting any sleep if I'm doing that. Yeah. How did you hike with the mosquitoes? Uh, you uh, kind of just look like you're beating yourself up all day. You know, you're slapping yourself on the face, slapping yourself on the back, slapping your arms, slapping your legs, getting aggravated. You know, you don't want to stop because the mosquitoes, they just follow you. Even when you're not getting bit, you have probably a whole swarm right behind you. So as soon as you stop, they just attack. So you just kind of try to keep moving and you just keep slapping. And when it gets really bad, you go to the deep. You know, you get deep bug spray and spray everything that's not covered. So what is what is your gauge for really bad? Uh, really bad is when they're so annoying that you just don't want to do anything else the rest of the day. Because it, it gets that bad. They will take you out of your, your vibe. They will take it out to where it's not fun right now. Even even to have like the the gauge of fun versus not fun, just uh, mosquitoes. Yeah, lucky for you, I never really had a big problem with mosquitoes on the PCT. The CDT was the absolute worst for it, and then AT had some spots where it was pretty bad with black flies. You didn't have issues with mosquitoes like when you got onto the Sierras and um, and then up into Oregon. Um, in Oregon, at certain spots, but not bad, like I was describing for the CDT. Right. You know, you did run into this, a few spots where the mosquitoes were out there, but it didn't last as long. Uh, on this trail this year, you would have sections where you had a few hundred miles of just dealing with mosquitoes versus, oh, I'm dealing with them around this water source on the PCT. And then when you get away from it, it's not so bad. Now, in 2016, how bad were the snow levels in, in the Sierras? It uh, w- wasn't very bad at all. You know, I, it was a pretty normal, chill year for the Sierras. But 2017 was bad. 17. In 17, going through the Sierras, there was a, there's a sign right after you pass Lone Pine, the exit to Lone Pine where it tells you, like, welcome to the Sierras. I think I, I can't exactly remember what's on the sign. I remember in 16 taking pictures of it. When we got there in 17, I kept telling the guys that this sign is here, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was determined to find it. So I started digging in the snow until I found <laughs> it. I had, to, I had to unearth at least two to three feet of snow just to get to it. Or we would go to campsites that I camped at the year before where I knew they had bear boxes at. And couldn't find the campsite because it's completely under snow. Bear box, everything just gone. Damn. Yeah, so it was a completely different experience than a year prior. How was that for you? Um, You don't get much snow in Louisiana. No, we don't. But uh, I was born actually in Germany. I'm a military brat. Okay. So it snowed a lot there. And I lived in Colorado Springs for a while. I was in the Army. Thing is, uh, always had the the thing with snow and me is if I got to deal with it, I got to deal with it. But it's not the way I remember it was when I was a kid. Snow when you're a kid is just all fun. When you're an adult, snow is it's cold out here. This yes. stuff is trying to kill me. I'm slipping and sliding over everything. I just want to be out of the snow now. 
you know, it's, it's fun to play in it for a little bit and, you know, hype it for a little bit. But after a while, it, it gets on your nerves. Yeah. You, you make a very good point. I, I don't remember being a kid and being out and playing in the snow and thinking about how cold it was or how wet I was getting or any of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Then when you're getting wet on trail, it's not like you can go inside, dry off, put on some nice dry clothes, and all you, you have what's in your pack, and that's it. Yeah. How was it for you doing the different passes through the Sierras, Forrester? And- oh, my goodness. Just gorgeous. A lot of work. Uh, one pass I remember in particular, I believe is Glen. Pretty sketchy. You know, you're going in the snow, but uh, on 17, heavy snow. And it goes pretty much straight up. So it was almost like we were climbing a ladder going up this, you know, the hiker that was in front of me. I'm just looking up and all I can see is their crampons. Like if they slip, they're coming right down on top of me. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of sketchy. But when you get to the top of these passes, oh, it's so rewarding. The view is just gorgeous. And you really feel like you accomplished something. So you're super proud of yourself, especially if you got good snow on the other side, because that means you can glycate down. <laughs> How was that? is good times. Glycating is a lot of fun. You know, you just got to make sure you're dressed properly for glycating and that you take off your uh, crampons or your micro spikes. Otherwise, while you're sliding down, the spikes can get caught in the snow and you can break your ankles that way. So, so what is proper, proper attire for, uh, for coming down the backside? If you carry rain pants, that's a good time to put them on. It's like hiking in rain pants can be very, very hot, so a lot of people won't do it. But that's usually a good time to put them on if you carry them, you know, to help you down this hill without getting a whole bunch of icy snow up your shorts and into your, you know, underwear and undergarments. You know, it's not the best time if you're using, say, uh, some of the frog talk bottoms. You know, you're going down this hill on your backside and, you get down to the end and then you realize they just ripped in half. I was going to say, yeah. Tyvek is usually pretty good if you use a Tyvek ground sheet and you can make sure you can, you know, secure it and not lose it on the way down. But you do pick up a lot of speed with Tyvek. So, yeah, make sure <laughs> you have your ice, got to have the ice hack handy to break and to steer a little bit. Now it feels like you're starting to talk about an Olympic sport. Uh, I think it could be in the Olympics. It would be really entertaining, too. I'd sign up. <laughs> no. Half the time, though, I, I didn't glycate. It's another one of the benefits of having big feet. I can literally ski, use both my trek poles, and kind of just ski down on my feet. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, balance has to be pretty good. I have wiped out a couple of times, but a lot of times that's like my go-to. So basically, you're, you're skiing. Mm-hmm. Yep. If the snow is, is uh, pretty hard, I can just ski right on top of it. Nice. Oh, yeah. See, all the years I was picked on for my big feet, they come in handy. They're skis, and they can be snowshoes at times. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah, undecided. She used to get mad a lot on this last trail. I would take off my snowshoes, frustrated with them, and just be walking on parts of snow. And she would walk in my footprints thinking those were safe spots, and she would do that and completely postal. <laughs> It's like, hey, big feet, benefit. Some people got it and some people don't. Exactly. <laughs> Circling back to the food thing, what what was your food like 
on that first PCT versus what you were doing on the CDT? Once I figured my food down, it hasn't really changed a lot. But those first couple of days, <laughs> I remember uh, my first resupply for snacks for the day. All I brought was a few Ziploc bags of Honey Nut Cheerios, thinking that was going to be enough. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when I got to uh, Lake Morena in 20 miles, I basically had to do a whole new resupply right there. Then uh, 40, uh, 20 more miles later at uh, Mount Laguna, I had to do another complete resupply because I had sent a box there and that wasn't going to do it. But uh, I would say by the time I hit Redwood, California, somewhere around there, I pretty much dialed in my food and it hasn't changed a lot. I and mean, only thing that's really changed is I've gotten rid of some things I'm tired of eating. Like uh, for me, when I do carry lunches, it's usually like tuna fish, tired of tuna fish. So I've replaced uh, tuna fish with like summer sausages and sometimes tortillas for lunches. Cliff bars, halfway through a hike, I won't eat cliff bars. It's the thing that will be in my pack that's going to sit there until everything else is gone. Then when I'm desperate enough, I'll eat that cliff bar. So I don't usually pack a lot of them anymore, just a few here and there, just because, you know, that's that desperation snack. And it is one of the good ways to get protein on trail is the protein bars. But for the most part, my food stays the same. There's only one thing that has to be in every one of my foods uh, resupplies. Otherwise, the world just doesn't work right. And that's gummy bears. <laughs> if I don't have gummy bears, I'm not leaving town until I find some. That, that was, that's my happy snack right there. Have you ever had been in town and not been able to find gummy bears? And I have been miserable for a stretch. Oh, no. Yes. I, I've gone to towns and it's like, I can't find gummy bears, gummy worms, sour gummies, sour patches, nothing. And it was just like, kind of affected my mood for the next stretch. Even if I only have one bag of gummy bears and I eat a little bit on the first day, and well, let me tell the truth. If I open a bag, I can't stop until they're gone. But as long as I have one bag, it's like, okay, I'm happy. All is well. Everything is right with the world. I am whole. But if I leave town without them, oh no. Uh-uh. Can't I just can't do it. It's just a bad stretch. It's like everything is gonna go wrong since I don't have gummy bears. Did you have gummy bears for every day on the CDT this year? I usually wouldn't carry them for every day. Uh, I was just saying that on a five-day stretch, I'm usually going to have at least two, maybe three bags. There's there's your weight right there. Oh, man. Uh, the worst, I think me and Undecided both carry over three pounds of gummy bears each. <laughs> I, think that, I think that was the worst one. You know, we bought one of these giant bags. Oh, no, we were at a grocery store where they sold them by the pound. And they had, uh, like, Sour Patch Kids for 99 cents a pound. So we both got like we both got like five pounds each. We probably ate a pound and a half while we were in town. And it's like, yeah, I, this was a horrible mistake. I think we went overboard here. But hey, it was some good snackage that stretch. Did you finish them by the time you got into town next? I think I finished them by the second day. Oh wow! Oh god! Uh, gummy bears. I grew up with gummy bears. They're very popular in Germany. So that's like my on and off trail just snack that I have to stay away from. They're your happy place. Yes. What kind of food do you 
like eat like meal wise i am kind of boring with my food and it's probably not the most nutritious stuff but like say breakfasts for me are usually a pop tart i usually only cook once a day and that's dinner dinner for me uh most of the time it's like say a north side combination with ramen and sometimes i'll put pepperonis and things like that in there uh you know, I, I really do like the mountain house meals, the backpacker meals and things like that. They're just very expensive and they can kind of kill your resupply budget. So I tend to go with things like North sides that are like a dollar per side. You, know, you can get a, say, 25 cent pack of ramen, mix those together. Like I said, put some pepperonis and things like that in there. And then you got a dinner. Sometimes uh, ramen bombs, you know, mashed potatoes and ramen. That's that hearty meal that sticks to your ribs. Uh, lunches. Let's say sometimes tuna fish or summer sausage with like string cheese and on a tortilla. That's like my version of the trail pizza. And then from there, usually it's just a whole bunch of snacks. Anything from different types of bars to cookies to gummy bears to uh, sometimes just different types of chocolate or cosmic brownies or honey buns. Pretty much anything I can do to keep calories because me every year I hike, I lose 40 to 50 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, I eat, 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 eat on trail and I just drop weight. So anything that's kind of high calorie is usually the route I go. Do you end up trying to kind of maybe put on a little extra weight before you start the trail? Uh, some years. It's like naturally, I'm, I'm naturally around 225 pounds. And, uh, when I finished trail, like this season, I came, uh, when I left this year, I left at 220. I came back at 169. Oh, man. But yeah, during the off season, my body will get back used to being home and not burning 5,000 calories a day. So it'll just naturally get back to where it usually is or close to it. You know, usually I'm a gym head at home too. So I carry a lot of upper body muscle. But since I've started hiking, I've reduced that. Because the upper body muscle is like the first thing that goes when I'm on trail. How long, once you get back from, from trail, how long does it take you to reorganize your your diet and, and the number of calories that you're eating? Uh, once again, I'm going to be truthful with you. I don't. <laughs> you know, I I like food. I like to eat. So when I'm home, my diet isn't much different other than I don't have to boil stuff to eat. Mm -hmm. So I kind of pretty much go with whatever I'm craving. I eat it, you know, between uh, going to the gym or, or getting my urban hikes in, I'm usually going to burn most of what I eat. But uh, I'm one of those people where I don't hold back food for myself. If it's something I'm craving, I'm going to eat it because then there's times where I have no appetite and I may only eat a snack all day long. But then I'll have a day where it's like, nope, I want Chick-fil-A. I want Waffle House. I want Papa John's Pizza all in one day. That sounds like a, f like a fun way to, to coexist with food. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of the mentality that I was kind of taught in the military and basic training. They kind of called it calories in, calories out. You know, you can eat the stuff that you want as long as you're willing to go put in the work. And that's kind of, I guess, how my body works at this point. It's like I don't hold anything back from it. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, do my normal routines and I kind of burn off most of what I take in. 
did you have issues with hiker hunger out there? Definitely. Is I don't care how much you change your food, how much extra food that you start packing, there's no way around it. You know, that first week, two weeks, maybe three weeks, you'll probably find that you're not eating as much as you thought you were. And you have all this extra stuff. I would tell anybody, don't adjust your food just yet. Once your hiker hunger kicks in, you may need that extra stuff you weren't eating plus some. And at some point during the hike, it really doesn't matter how much you're carrying. You're going to eat it all. You're going to be coming into town with that one cliff bar that you just didn't want to eat all the last five days. And that's going to be all that's in there. Sometimes you get to the point where you, you pack this big resupply. You leave in town. So your pack is at its heaviest. You're kind of tired of the weight. So you start eating yourself out of your problems. It's like, yep, those extra gummy bears, eating those. That extra sandwich that I got from the deli that I said would make a perfect lunch, I'm going to eat that too. I don't want to carry it. So, uh, yeah, once hiker hunger kicks in, there's, there's no way around it. You got to carry more food. And the more you carry, it still probably won't be enough. You just constantly crave eating all day long. That first year, did you know what it was when it hit you? I had heard people talk about it, but I thought, oh, it's not going to be that bad of an issue. Oh, my goodness. When it hit me, I would eat any and everything. <laughs> just constantly. You know, you packed up your tent. It's like, I don't usually sit down and have breakfast. I'll pack up and I'll eat Pop-Tart while I'm walking. Most of my things I eat, I eat while I'm walking. So I'll eat my Pop-Tart. And before Hiker Hunger, okay, I'm good for a while. But once Hiker Hunger hits, I eat my Pop-Tart. 20 minutes later, I can feel my fingers going into my snack bag out of control. I'm not doing this. It's just doing it by itself. <laughs> uh, got those fruit snacks I like. I'm eating those. Five, ten minutes later, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I have some cheeses in there, too. And before you know it, your snack pocket is empty. It's like, oh, man, I ate half the snack that I scheduled for today in the first two hours. What is going on? It it's, sounds like your, uh, your, your hands have a mind of their own. That's why I can't sleep with my food inside my tent. I have what I, I call wandering hand disease. <laughs> you know, if... If there's like gummy bears or those snacks that I like, they kind of disappear in the middle of the night. So I, I try to keep my food outside the tent just for that reason. Do you have a tendency to sleepwalk at all? Or uh, I, I, I hope not, but who knows? I think I have probably once or twice on the AT. I think I probably have like hung my food bag and was thinking, I really want a snack, I really want a snack, and somehow ended up with those gummy bears in my tent. It was magic. Swear it was magic. Yeah. It's the gummy bear fairy. They know how much I appreciate them, so they bring them to me in my sleep, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> how was your experience with uh, Trail Angels and Trail Magic out there? Oh, my goodness. Trail Angels are the best people ever. I mean, I've had people helped me along the way and so many people who opened up their homes to me, you know, fed me, did my stinky, a hiker laundry. People have given me money, words of encouragement, rides. I mean, I've had complete strangers do more for me than 
some of my extended family would probably do. You know, I've been places where, you know, I've met people and they're like, you know, I think it's so cool what you're doing. I just want to be a part of it. And then they hand you a lot of money and it's like, oh, it's okay. I have money. No, I just want to help you out. It's like uh, being undecided. We're going to Denver for Selvathorn. We're taking a couple of days off the trail for an outdoor retailer. And we had to check out of our hotel. There was a bus that was going to go toward Denver, but it wasn't going to leave for like five or six hours. So we decided to look and see how much Uber was from there. And it was like $94. And while we're sitting there looking at it, this guy comes out of the hotel. He saw us walking into town one day and was worried about us. And we told him what we were doing and that we were okay. And he wanted to keep in touch. You know, he wanted to hear more about the hike. So he writes his address, his name, his email on a sheet of paper, and he folds it up and he gives it to me. And I, you know, I take it and he goes on his way. I go back to the picnic table and sit with him decided and I open it up and there's $300 in it. Oh, and wow. it's like, want to help you guys along on your trip. You probably don't need it, but I felt like I wanted to help you guys. And it's like, that's, that stuff doesn't happen in real life. Yeah. You know, in your normal life. And you could have a friend for 20 years and say, hey, can I borrow $300? Well, not can I borrow. Will you give me $300? Chances are that's not going to happen. But these complete strangers, just they're, 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 they're out there. These, these just so kind people that want to just be a part of your journey and want to help you get to the end. And it's just so amazing. It would definitely renew your faith in humanity. It's like there are good people still in the world. It's amazing how what you're doing or what you did inspires other people to want to be even a small part of that. Yes, it, it really is. I mean, sometimes it's it's strange because it's like, you know, we're just walking across, you know, the country, you know, it doesn't seem like to why you're doing it, that it's something so major or a big impact on other people's lives. You kind of feel like this is the selfish moment, but it impacts so many other people and inspires so many other people. I mean, it's just good times. Did you run into much trail magic? On the CDT, not a whole lot. You know, we, me and Undecided, we started early for the CDT season. And then uh, later on, we just missed a lot of opportunities. Seemed like the CDT, uh, you did have some, but most of the trail magic was something that was prearranged by another hiker. So if you didn't make it to at this spot at this time, you probably couldn't get it. But we did have people that would leave, say, uh, muffins at some point um, in the New Mexico desert before Silver City. We had a family host us in Leadville for two days, and that was really, really cool. They were so nice. Uh, we all went out in Yellowstone. It was maybe 10 of us hikers there. And we went out to the breakfast buffet for another hiker's birthday. And there was the people at the table right next to us. They asked what we were doing, and we told them. And you know, they asked a few questions. And when we were getting ready to leave, we asked for separate tickets. And the waitress brought us a ticket with just one with everything on it. And it was 200 and something dollars. So we're waiting for her to come back and asking her if she could separate them. And she's like, no, the people that were at that table, they took care of your bill for you. So, you know, they, they took care of our breakfast and everything, which was so cool. They didn't even tell us they were doing it and they didn't even stick around so we could say thank you. I ran into 
one of the mural employees in Colorado, and they gifted us a hotel room at one point, and that was super dope. It was at the right time. We needed some rest around then. So, yes, we did have some trail magic, but not more, not as much as, say, the AT does. Right. Did you find that the, like, trail angels, trail magic, that kind of thing seemed to happen right when you needed it most? It's true what they say, man. The trail does provide, you know, if you're running low on snacks or running low on food and don't know if you're going to make it to the next town, it seems like then you would walk up on a cache and this cache may have water in there. We have Gatorade or a couple of beer in there. And then you open up another box and they have ramen noodles and pasta sides and cliff bars and pop tarts. And they tell you, take what you need. And it's like, this came at the exact right moment. Funny how the universe knows those things. It really is. It really, really is. Uh, you probably heard that uh, Casa de Luna is, is closing down after this year. I am so sad. I, I wish that everyone that was hiking the PCT would have a chance to meet Terry and Joe and Donna that was at Hiker Heaven. These are some of the nicest people ever. And they, they, they were so kind and funny. And to me, they, Casa de Luna and Hiker Heaven are a huge part of the PCT. It's going to be different without them being there. It's still going to be a, a great experience. But I think if I hike the PCT again, it is going to be a very, very sad thing knowing that at mile 454, I'm not going into Hiker Heaven or, you know, the next day going in and seeing Terry and Joe and getting your hiker bandana and camping in the Mazzanita Forest. And then I, I heard at uh, Scout and Frodo, this was going to be their last year coming up. And they have been so huge to the, the PCT community for so long because when you get to San Diego, the only way I know of to get to the terminus is there's a, a bus or a train, but it only runs certain times, like twice a day, and then it doesn't run on the weekends. So they built this whole network over years of volunteers coming in during the off season to help transport people to their house. You make a big family group meal. You camp there or stay at their house, and then they have all these volunteers take you to the terminus to start your hike the next day. And so many people have depended depended on that and they've been so great for so many years so you know it's it's really really sad to know that these resources and these kind people aren't going to be there anymore but uh i think you know the trails are still going to be a great experience yeah it will be it will be different it definitely will i mean in 16 we had ziggy and the bears right after uh san jacinto and in 17 it wasn't there anymore and it was different but it didn't kill from the experience. Yeah, I'm I, knowing that I'm doing it next year. I am. I am a little sad. Uh, but you know, the way the trails are, I wouldn't be surprised if someone else in the area is is going to you know start taking in hikers or doing trail magic because the communities around Cassidy Lunar and Hiker Heaven, they they were invested in it too. You know they. Terry and Joe, them, they were, their neighbors would come by sometimes and hang out with the hikers. I mean, of course, there was a few neighbors that didn't <laughs> quite like all the smelly, you know, uh, hyped up hikers just hanging out around everywhere. But there were a lot that would come in and they want to hear your stories and they want to know where you're from and have you seen anything weird and kind of help out. So I think that would probably continue around those communities. How was your experience with hitchhiking? 
first time I ever hitchhiked, I was kind of terrified a little bit, but I wasn't by myself at that moment. So I figured, okay, I have a young lady with me. So that'll make things go a little smoother. And it did. And hikers like to refer to female hikers as ride brides. Yep. Because they're 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 more likely to have vehicles stop to pick them up. So when you're traveling for when I was traveling with just Cookie, the one who gave me my trail name, it was kind of smooth doing it. The first time I had the uh, hitch by myself, that was a completely different story. <laughs> How far into the trip were you when you had to hitch by yourself? Uh, the first time I hitched solo over a, a good distance was uh, it was going into Lake Isabella, which is the town right before you get to uh, Kennedy Meadows. So about 600 miles in, my trail family had got in front of me. And I chased them down for like four or five days. So I was camping solo, hiking solo the whole time there. I get to Walker Pass and I'm trying to hitch. And so many cars just go past, go past. And I, I did have luck there. I had a, two, two ladies that stopped. They picked me up. They brought me in. But then there was another time there where I was on a road and I needed to hitch in. And no one would stop for me. When a car finally stopped for me, the the guy that was driving the car, he gave me a, a cold beer and he sat there for a while. And he's like, are you by yourself? It's like, yes, sir. He's like, is there anyone coming behind you? It's like, not that I know of. He's like, I would give you a ride, but I don't feel comfortable having you in my car with just you. <laughs> it's like, just me? He's like, I know it's 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 probably sounds racist or but I don't feel comfortable with just you in my car. You and someone else, okay, but just you? No. It's like, you know, it kind of is what it is. I've had people over the years that have picked me up just because they saw that I was a black hiker and told me no one else was gonna pick up a black hiker in the area. Mm-hmm. So they felt like they needed to come help me out, otherwise I was gonna sit there for hours. So, I mean, it has, usually it's a pretty smooth experience, but I have had times when I'm just solo hitchhiking where it can be pretty difficult. But most of the time, the hardest thing about hitchhiking is after you get in the car. Once you get in the car, now at this point, it's kind of like you're entertaining the driver the rest of the time with all your tails from trail. And if you're not a, a huge social person, that can be really, really hard. Speaking of that, how was that that first year? Oh, man, the first year, luckily, most of the hikes, I mean, most of the hitches, luckily, I was able to sit in the back and let someone else do that. And then the times that I had to step up and actually be the person talking and communicating, it was just really, like, awkward. You know, a few words here, a little staring, a few more words, more staring. I'm pretty sure they some of the people I was I got hitches from probably thought there was something really, really wrong with me. You know, just really jittery, mm-hmm. kind of just staring out the window, even though we're in a car acting like I could avoid this person, like there's somewhere I can just escape to. But I think they, they probably sense that, yeah, he's here in the car, but he's not here in the car. But, you know, it, it's something where you you kind of get over that quick. Even if you're not a big social person, 
you, you start to think, I guess, in lines of, you know, these people are stopping, letting me into their personal space, get, uh, taking me where I need to go. And the only thing they want to really know is, you know, a little bit about the adventure. They're not asking for much. I can easily do that. Did you find that you had specific stories that you would tell? Uh, most of the time, you would just really kind of answer questions. Oh. And most of the time, it was the same questions. You know, when did you leave? How long you've been out? How many di- miles do you hike a day? When did you start? Where are you from? And have you seen any wildlife? And a pretty popular question, too, is do you carry a weapon? Mm. Do you have a gun? You know, why don't you have a gun? (laughs) So, you know, you get a lot of the same questions a lot. You'll find, too, a lot of the people that do stop to pick you up, they've picked up hikers before. So a a lot of times it's kind of the standard conversation every time you get in one car and then out and then into another. Yeah, they have some connection. Mm Mm-hmm. So you get those questions and you after a while, you pretty much have the answers memorized. So it makes it really, really easy. What what was on any of the trails? What was your toughest day or moment on trail? My toughest moment came on the AT last year. I, it wasn't New Hampshire. I think it was Massachusetts. So like I try to be really, really positive on trail. And I try to spread positivity on my Instagram, but on trail, it's important to me to keep everything light and positive, not just because of the person I am and because I want everybody to be, you know, feeling good around me. But as one of the few African-Americans that you usually see on trails, I'm kind of like an ambassador for my entire race. What I find is sometimes I meet people who aren't used to being around black people they're going to judge any other black person they meet on trail based off the interactions they have with me. So it's always important for me to just keep everything cool, you know, just good vibes. But this day in Massachusetts, I'm coming down the trail and there's a day hiker in front of me. And I usually let people know I'm behind them prior to me walking up on them because you end up just scaring the heck out of people. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, how you doing? That's usually my standard. He looks over his shoulder very quickly, turns back around and is like, so football and basketball isn't enough for you people anymore? And I'm like, okay. And now he just goes on this whole spiel about why black people shouldn't be in nature. We're bad with directions. We're going to get lost. We're going to increase the cost of search and rescue for everyone else. We're going to play loud rap music in the woods. We're going to burn down the forest because we don't know what we're doing. And all this time, I want to get around him. But I move to the right some, he moves to the right. I move to the left some, he moves to the left. So I'm just following him down this trail, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, I really, really, really want to curse this man out. (laughs) And uh, and I know we're only 0.1, 0.2 from a parking lot. And I'm sure he's going there. So I'm just listening and just taking it, just taking it, just listening. And we get to the junction for him to go to the parking lot. And now he finally turns around and gets a good look at me. After all of this, this man looks at me and says, hey, I know you. You're a Kuna, aren't you? 
my my wife and my daughter follow you online. They love you. You mind if I get a picture with you? They will absolutely love that. And, you know, it took everything in me not to just go nuts on this man. But at the same time, I didn't feel like there was a need to be friendly to him at all. So I basically told him, uh, F you and have a great day and just kept it moving. Yeah. That was a hard, hard day for me. I think most people probably would have went off on him and handled it a little differently. But I found a way to just kind of found a way to really do it that I felt like was the right way to do it. But man, it, it took a lot to do that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. He's he's probably lucky that he caught you on the AT versus the PCT. If you'd have caught me the first year I hiked, it, it would have went completely different. Uh, I already know. Yeah. What was your best, most memorable experience on the trail? Trails? My most memorable is probably the day I was talking about earlier when I got to Kennedy Meadows. And something about that day and hiking that 700 miles of the desert will stay with me always. And that's when I really, it really hit me that not only am I doing this, I'm thriving. You know, so many people who had picked on my pack weight or who doubted my abilities are gone. I'm still here. And not only am I here, I just hiked the entire California desert. It was just mind blowing to know that my mind and my body took me through that. And that was a huge, huge moment in hiking for me. And any other, all the other times is, I don't know why, but for me, there's something special about the hundred mile mark of every trail. And the hundred mile mark, I can always remember those. It's like, I guess for me, when you get to that hundred mile mark, that's the point where you, it really kicks in, I'm doing this. You know, I've gone a hundred miles. I'm in this and I'm succeeding. If I can go a hundred miles, I can do the rest. You know, how many people can say that they've hiked a hundred miles? Not many. Yeah. Just getting to that point is always great for me. I'm always going to stop and take that picture and hang out there and soak it in. You know, the hundred mile marks are a special place for me. Do you pull those memories up at other times or back in the real world when when you're struggling? Oh, definitely. Definitely. My Google Photos, it, it gets access a couple times a day. You know, I, especially at this point, you know, the point where it's right after a hike, you know, you have the uh, post-trail depression that goes along with our hikes. For me, it's not as bad as it once was. But for a lot of people, it's a huge issue. And usually for me, I can just dial back and just start looking at photos. Some of those pictures over 100 miles, the 100 mile mark over the years or that epic day climbing Mount Whitney or the day we summited Katahdin. And it kind of helps me get through it all. Yeah, it does make me want to hike right then and there. But the memory of that day comes back to me. And I started thinking about who I was hiking with that day. You know, who I hiking with that day is conversations that we may have had, where we camped, and, you know, that, that epic sunset. 
And usually that's enough to get me through those rough, the rough stretches. What would you tell somebody who has not through hiked before and is thinking about maybe possibly through hiking? I would tell them to go for it. You know, if, if it's something that you want to do, then go out, do it. Don't worry about if you've never done it before or you don't know this or you don't know that. You'll pick everything up as you go. You'll figure out, you know, not only how to survive, but how to thrive out there. You know, you'll find that other through hikers and the communities that surround the trails will be very welcoming, very friendly, will assist you in any way they can, you know, and really get ready to kind of get out of your comfort zone and allow people in because the people you meet on trails, it's like the people that I serve with in the military, they become family fast. You'll have conversations that you wouldn't normally have with people unless you know for five or six years or 10 years. These people will feel like that instantly to you. Mm-hmm. So be ready for that and be ready to be in your head. You know, I mean, if you have demons that you try not to think about, they're going to come out. You know, when you're out there by yourself walking, you do a lot of thinking. You think about the messed up stuff you've done. You know, you think about interactions you've had with different people and, you know, decisions, you know, should I have done it this way? If I did it this way, this would have happened. This would have happened. That would have happened. But instead, I did it this way. And so you think about all of that. So, you know, be prepared to be in your head. You know, some for some people, that's a deal breaker, you know, thinking about a lot of stuff. But for others, it's the way they work things out, you know, so. That's probably one of the big things I can tell people that are going on a through hike is you're going to think about everything because you have nothing but time. So be prepared to, you know, to live in your head. Run into a lot of, I shouldn't even say a lot, uh, uh, any veterans while you were out there? Uh, there are tons of vets hiking the trails from all the major branches. Is there anything you feel like we haven't talked about that we should? Uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are there are stories galore that you could tell, but yeah, probably just right now I'm coming up with a blank. <laughs> no worries. Where can people find you, or where would you like people to find you uh, if they have other questions or want to follow your continuing journey? Uh, I try to share all my journeys on my Instagram. That's Akuna Heights. If uh, anyone needs uh, to speak to me, they have questions or anything, or they're willing to answer questions, you can send them to me, a uh, direct message on Kuna Hikes on Instagram. What is your next adventure? I am still narrowing it down. I have like eight different ideas going <laughs> in my head right now, uh, but I haven't locked in on one yet. I keep going back and forth. It may be one big one next year. It may be one big one and a small one. It could be in the U.S. It could be overseas. I just haven't been able to just zero it in. All I can say is that the journey is going to continue. I have no doubt. Oh, yeah. Hopefully in the next few weeks, I'll be able to narrow it down once we come back from vacation. Actually taking a cruise next month to kind of celebrate, get doing the Triple Crown, me and Undecided. Mm-hmm. So hopefully after that, I'll be able to put something up on my Instagram to let everyone know what the next journey is going to be. Perfect. And you were also uh, teasing 
uh, some sort of uh, project related to the yeah. Triple Crown? So. Oh, yeah. We, we worked on a project, and hopefully I'll be able to share more with you guys about that in the next few weeks. Perfect. We will stay tuned. Yes, indeed. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Will. This has been amazing. Oh, no problem. No problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And, and congratulations again on, uh, on the Triple Crown. And thank you. Every guest and listener alike. It has been an amazing experience sharing these through hiker stories with you. I feel very lucky and very grateful for the opportunity to unleash my endless curiosity about the trail. A very special thanks to Will for sharing his stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, I'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also DM me on Instagram at hiking through podcast. And if you enjoy what we're doing, I'd love it if you'd find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail. Bye.